So uh, I don't know if you know this or not, but it's February. Do y'all know that? Lots of important things happen in February, right? You have President's birthdays that we celebrate, both Lincoln and Washington. We have, um, well, I mean, Tuesday is the most important day of all. Your pastor enters his last year in the 30s. I know it. Your pastor's getting old around here. I hit 39 years old on Tuesday. So that's an important day. Obviously, you've all got that marked on your calendars at home. And then, in a couple of weeks, is Valentine's Day. All you women shouted that out real strong, guys. Hope you got your plan down, right? Because it is a celebration of maybe. At least what society calls love, right? And whenever you're talking about Valentine's Day and you're talking about love and you're talking about romance, it always needs a good song to go with it. In fact, this week uh, I put on Facebook uh, just a a thing out there and said, tell me your song as a couple. If you and your significant other, what's your song? And it was interesting to see the responses I got. And what's also interesting to me is several people that responded, I noticed, haven't showed up this morning. Now, a couple have, but not not all. So I'm going to talk about them anyways. Right. And so people started responding and. Uh, particularly people in this service that typically attend this service, Greg and Kathy Yates. Kathy Yates said that her song with Greg is Total Eclipse of the Heart. How many of you know that song? How many of you have no idea what that is? Y'all are unfortunate not to know that song. It's one of those classics. I can tell you this about Total Eclipse of the Heart. And, And really, I would sing all these for you, but it would ruin it if it is... Remotely near your song. Totally close to the heart. Here's the funny thing about that. I was in Brazil one time on a mission trip. And about day seven or eight when you're in Brazil on a mission trip, you just look for any English besides your team. You're looking for any outlet of English. I was flipping through the channels on my television, everything in Portuguese, even American movies in Portuguese. And as I get to this, there's a singing competition. I think, oh, this would be, you know, be interesting to see what they're singing. And so the whole thing's in Portuguese. They're talking about Portuguese. The music starts, and it is the most perfect English version of Total Eclipse of the Heart by Bonnie Tyler. And it just made me feel warm inside, right? Just good, all right? So that, that was one of them. I, 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 uh, I heard from a couple of people, including John Carpenter this morning, telling me that he and Betty, their song, and correct me if I'm wrong, but you said it was Moon River, correct? How many of you know Moon River? How many of you don't have a clue what Moon River is? All the young ones in here say amen, right? I've heard Moon River. I know of it, all right? Deborah, uh, or excuse me, Sherry Whitfield right over here responded, right? Jim, do you know what she put on there? Okay, good, because I didn't want to mess you up, all right? Here's a funny thing. Jeff and Amory Ball. Amory Ball put one on there. Some of y'all know Jeff and Amory. Jeff, about three times later, put a completely different song on there as their song. We, we, we're doing some counseling this week. So Sherry and Jim Whitfield is Kenny Chesney, How Forever Feels. I almost had to sing it right there when you said it, right? So country people. And then uh, Dirk and Sandy Wally. Dirk and Sandy, they're, they're, they usually sit right over here, right? They, this is surprising to me, I love Dirk and Sandy, they put down a classic 80s power ballad. 
I want to know what love is. My foreigner. And then here's the last one. Helen Robbins put in. The only one, she, 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 the way she wrote it made it sound like that. If anybody has any other song by any other artist, it, it just doesn't count. She said only counts if it's Elvis. Love me tender, right? Now, here's the question I have for you. Did you know that love songs aren't new phenomenon, right? They've been around for a long time. And you think, well, how long have they been around? I want to tell you that I think they've been around since the beginning. Since the very beginning. In fact, if you look in Genesis, don't turn to Genesis 2. I'm just going to talk about it for a minute. But if you look in Genesis 2, you have the first couple, right? You have Adam and Eve. And, and Adam, if you remember the story, Adam and Eve are, or Adam's created. Then God puts him out. And then, in fact, we've got uh, Genesis chapter 2. We're going to put it up on the, the screen here. It says, but Adam, you remember God makes all the animals. And then he gives Adam out there. And he says, go look at all the animals and name all the animals. And when he does that, it says, Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. You say, well, how deep was the sleep? Well, he took a rib out of him. That's deep. Amen. Somebody say that's deep. See, you, you just had some deep learning in church. All right. That's deep. All right. Deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up his place with its flesh. So that's what happens. Here's the next verse. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman. Don't you, don't you wish you could be here for this? Adam's waking up like, what's that on my, what in the, what, what happened? And as he's there, it says God introduces him to her. They brought her to the man. And then Adam said, now here's what I want you to notice. Do you, do you notice that the form of it changes? Do you notice that it went from being in paragraph lines to what is it now? It's a poem. The original authors wrote this in a way that made it a poem. Now, let me just ask you a question. Okay, this is, this is not deep, but what is a poem set to music? A song. Poetry set to music is a song. And so there are many people that think this, as short as it is, is the very first Love song. All of you say, aw. See, y'all are good at that. And the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called. Whoa, man. Because she was taken out of man. Now, here's what woman means. Literally, it means mine. From me. Mine. And so Adam she walks up, God introduces the man to the woman, and he looks at her and immediately he says, whoa, that is mine. Now, maybe that's not how it happened in your dating relationship, but that's what happened here. And then it tells us this phrase. This is throughout Scripture. This is a theme that goes from here throughout. And therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Do you realize that the first institution put forth in the Bible is marriage? Now, we're not going to get into a lot of cultural stuff, but can I tell you that when it's the first thing God establishes on this earth, that it's probably a pretty important thing to protect. 
No, you don't get into all that, but just say that. And the man and his wife were both naked and they were not ashamed. Now, this is an amazing statement. More so than just they ain't got no clothes on. It means they were completely at home with each other. No games, no tricks, no manipulation. Just who they are. They had a complete, unfettered, completely honest, open relationship with one another. They didn't have to worry about what the other one was thinking. Can you guys imagine that? I mean, guys, can you imagine that? Not wondering about what is she thinking? Right? Women, can you imagine not having to figure out if he's playing games or if things are, what does he really mean by that? Or he doesn't care about that or he's not sensitive to that. They were completely together, completely open, completely in love. Well, what happened? This is Genesis 2. What happened? Genesis 3 happened, right? Sin entered the world and it took what God created and it turned it into something that was unrecognizable from God's original intent. And so where there was open and honesty, in fact, you know the story, they're both naked and not ashamed. What's the first thing they want to do once they sin? Put clothes on, cover themselves up, protect themselves, to guard themselves. And for the thousands of years since then, we have been guarding ourselves from one another. A perfect gift that was given. Sin ruined so much. I mean, you think about all the good things that God gave that now can turn into idols or can lead to destruction because of sin. Think about food. I love food. Amen. I mean, I love food. Can you imagine eating whatever you want and it not making a difference? Mm, That's good, right? Well, what would you eat if you could get away with eating absolutely anything? And it doesn't affect you at all. What was that? Chocolate. For something, I thought somebody said Brussels sprouts. I said, you are wrong. Chocolate, pizza. I'd have like a 25-ounce steak. Baked potato. Chocolate cake afterwards. A la mode. We're getting fancy up in here, right? Even like, and I know we're in a Baptist church, and so we kind of have to be wary talking about this, but even like alcohol. If you read Scripture, it talks about it as a gift. But if you look at the newspaper or you listen to stories, anecdotal stories, it ruins lives. And between a man and a woman, there's a beautiful marriage and the sex that was a part of it has been turned into the thing that just permeates our society with an irreverent and wrong-headed view of how God intended it. If you don't believe that, watch the Super Bowl and the commercials and the halftime with a six-year-old. And think about how many times you either mute it, turn the channel, or put your hand over the eyes. And in this new world that we have, it's harder than ever to find, maintain, and keep strong the relationship of marriage that God intended. 
And so for the next few weeks, we're going to look at a love song. It's in the Bible. It's over in the wisdom literature. If you've got your Bibles, turn to Song of Solomon, Song of Songs. If you don't know where to find that, open to the middle of the Psalms. Go past Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. You get to Isaiah, you've gone too far. And in Song of Songs or Song of Solomon, depending on what era you grew up in and what your Bible says, we have an amazing, an amazing picture of this attempt on our part to find, retain, and follow the plan God has for our relationships. And here's what I want to tell you. If you're here today and you're single, you're not married, you're, you're not dating, or you are dating, this is going to be important few weeks for you because we're going to talk about what kind of person you ought to be in order to attract the person you want to attract in order to be in a relationship with. If you're married here today, whether you've been married 5 years, 15 years, 45 years, Anybody here 50 years or longer married? Anybody here? Look at all those hands. Hey, let's first of all, let's just applaud that, right? Some of you are like, if you only knew, right? Anybody here 60 years or longer? We got 60 years back here. So if you've been married 15 years, I'm not going to go higher than that because all of us can do the math, all right? 15 years, 30 years, 50 years. Here's the truth. You know this, especially if you've been married for 50 or 60 years. It's not like you say I do and all the work stops. Can I get an amen? That's when it begins. Somebody has said, actually it's Tim Keller as a pastor in New York, said that marriage is like running a Mack truck through your life. It reveals all the issues that you got and spreads them out for all to see. Song of Solomon, we have this courtship happening, this time happening and Here's what we want to kind of talk about, and it's simply this. What does it look like to be, and what should we be attracted to in another person? Now, I just want to warn you right off the bat. Some of, some of you know this, many of you know this, but if I just read Song of Solomon straight through, there'd be more red faces in here this week than there have ever been. Amen? Some blushing happening. There'd be lots of, did he, that's not, that is not in the Bible. I don't know what translation he's reading. That's not there. It is, in fact, it's so controversial in some circles there that when they were, they were praying about and God was forming the, one of the books that people were like, are you sure that ought to be in there is this book? Because there are moments when it is pretty graphic in its description of what God intended. We're not going to read those today. I'm just letting you know, all right? Song of Solomon, starting in verse 1 of chapter 1. Solomon's Song of Songs. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is more delightful than wine. Pleasing is the fragrance of your perfumes. Your name is like perfume poured out. No wonder the maidens love you. Take me away with you. Let us hurry. Let the king bring me into his chambers. Now, let me just say this from the very beginning. The first thing that we see that has to kind of be there or that needs to be there in order for the God's plan of marriage to be around is that there has to be some sort of attraction. Amen? It's okay to amen in this series, all right? There has to be some sort of attraction. There has to be some sort of looking at you and thinking, man, I, I think she looks really good. Or, man, he, he looks great. Or, or, you know, there's some kind of physical attraction that happens. I remember the first time I saw Susan. We were um, 
in college and we were at Union and we were just starting at Union. And uh, during the first few days, I got put in a group with one of Susan's best friends. And so we were hanging out after and she said, this is my friend, Susan. And by the way, her dad is the pastor of the biggest church in town, which two things I did. First of all, she thought, man, she is really pretty. The second thing he thought is, I got to be careful. Her dad is the preacher of one of the biggest churches in town. Right? There has to be some kind of physical attraction. But here's what we know from Scripture and what we know from just life in general. Beauty is vain. It's not lasting. What does the word vain mean? That's good. Somebody else. What does it mean? Superficial. It means that it's just the outside. It's just the veneer. In Proverbs, another wisdom book, it says charm is deceptive and beauty is vain. The idea is that there has to be some sort of physical attraction that goes with us starting a relationship with somebody. But if you are counting on physical attraction to make it 40 or 50 years, I hate to bust your bubble, but it ain't. And here's the truth. It's not going to last six months. You know why? Because when you're dating, you put the picture of your best self forward. Amen? Any of you wives or husbands here married the person you're married to and you love them still, they're great. But about two months in, you were like, where was this person six months ago? Right? I saw that hand, Mary Ann, and the elbow, Doc Hagen. There's got to be something more to that. And what she says here is, first of all, this first part, this let her kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. Your love is more delightful than wine. That is the physical attraction. That is the I see him and I, I, I think that he is good looking. But verse three, this is what I love. It says, pleasing is the fragrance of your perfume. Your name is like perfume poured out. And the idea there is that when beauty is gone or when beauty fades or when beauty becomes old, it is your character that survives in the midst of the relationship. Now, here's what it means about the whole perfume poured out. All right? In their day and time, you didn't have multiple choices for perfumes, and you didn't have a place in Opry Mills that sells the most expensive perfumes and a different name knockoff so you can buy them cheaply. You didn't have perfumes around. Perfume was expensive. On top of that, people didn't bathe. You ever been around somebody who didn't bathe after a few days? You ever lived with a middle schooler? It's not fun, right? They, they, there's a smell. And there's a smell that emanates that when you're walking down the street, others around you notice. Now, I want you to imagine for a minute living in a culture, this is difficult for us because we don't, living in a culture where bathing is not a regular part of your routine. Even here today, if you talk to people like, well, I don't bathe that much, that means they bathe like four times a week. We're talking about a culture where people bathe once every couple of weeks. And so if somebody had bought some expensive, really good smelling perfume and is walking down the street, it made a difference. It stood out. People were like, what is going on? And she says to him, your character, who you are, is like a poured out fragrant perfume. I mentioned earlier my love of food, and I like to think of it this way. You ever walked into the house and somebody's been cooking a roast all day? Amen. 
There's a, and if you're in the house, you don't notice it. But when you walk from outside to in, you're like, whoo! Like you get all excited about it, right? How much longer do we have? What time is? What time is up? How long does it have? You just that smell. It just knocks you off your feet almost in a good way. She says, your character is like that. Now, do you tell me what's character? What's character? It's the real you. It's the one inside. Bill Hybels is famous for saying, character is who you are when no one's looking. It's what you think, not what you say. Although oftentimes what you say is a result of what you think. It's what Jesus said when he said, it's not what goes into a man that defiles him, but what comes out of him for what is in the heart of man is who you are, basically. And she's going to give some examples of what it looks like to have character here in a few minutes. But the point here is that you're looking for somebody, that if you're looking into a relationship, you're wanting to marry somebody or you're wanting to date, the point is that they ought to have the character that matches whatever other beauty they have. Now, let me just say this to you. Andy Stanley, who's a pastor in Atlanta, has said this to his congregation over and over. He has lots of singles in his congregation, but he says this to married people as well. And he says this. If you have trouble finding the right one, or if you have trouble in your marriage thinking you still marry the right one, do this, he says. Turn into the person the person you're looking for is looking for. Turn into the person... The person you're looking for is looking for. In other words, worry about you. Let me just say this. Whether you're single or you're married, how much time have you spent in the last few months working on you? Who you are, the character issues. Compare that to how much time have you spent in the last few months worrying about what you look like on the outside. How much time do you spend in the morning getting ready for the day physically versus how much do you spend getting ready internally? Now, in Song of Solomon, he's going to give some things. She's going to give some things that a person of character does. And here's some things that they do. First of all, they take responsibility. Look, look down in verse 5. Dark I am, yet lovely, O daughters of Jerusalem. Dark like the tents of Kedar, like the tent curtains of Solomon. Do not stare at me because I'm dark. And then she gives the reason she's dark. Because I am darkened by the sun. My mother's sons were angry with me and made me take care of the vineyards. Let me just tell you this. That in their day, it was not proper at all to make a woman or a girl take care of what the boys or the men should have. Also understand this. In our society, people pay lots of money to get tanned. In their society... The paler your skin, the better, because it meant you didn't have to work outside. And she says, don't get angry with me because my, sin is so, my skin is so dark. My mother's sons were angry with me and made me work my vineyards, my own vineyard I have neglected. What she basically says is, listen, I haven't been able to take care of myself because I've been taking care of what the family needed me to take care of. In a marriage relationship, in your own relationships, just in life in general, are you taking responsibility for the things that God has in place in your care to take responsibility for, even if it's not the thing that you would most want to do? Can I ask you a quick question? You've just read this. You don't know anything about this woman other than what you've read. Does it sound like she really wanted to take care of the vineyards? No. Did she do it anyways? For those of you in a, a marriage do you ever do things that you really don't want to do? 
but you do because you know it's got to be done. Listen, it's okay to admit this and don't get mad at each other if you admit it, right? There are things that have to be done and so you do it. We live in a society that increasingly tells people, if you don't want to do it, don't do it. Follow your heart. Do what only makes you happy. If Susan and I did only what made us happy, you know what would happen? Neither one of us would be happy. Because if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy, right? But you know what? We, guys, we like to say that. But you know the truth? I've been around a lot of grumpy men too. And nobody's happy around them either. Women, can I get a name in? There we go. That was hardy right there. That's... Do what you're supposed to do. Take responsibility for your life. Here's another one. Not only responsibility, but commitment. Look at verse 7. Now, this is kind of interesting. We're going to talk about this for just a second. Tell me whom you I love, where you graze your flock, and where you rest your sheep at midday. Why should I be like a veiled woman beside the flocks of your friends? What she's saying is, let me know where you are. Let me know what you do so that I can commit and come and live and be yours. We're going to talk about this a little bit more as we go forward in the next couple of weeks. But I can tell you this from what I've talked to people that have been married for a long time and talking to people that don't make it. Perhaps the single most determining factor to marriages staying together is a commitment from both parties for the marriage to stay together. If I could determine, I do premarital counseling with people that are getting married um, a lot. And when I, if I could determine the absolute commitment level of both people before we ever said I do, I could prevent a lot of mistakes. In fact, commitment goes along with kind of the next part, and that is, or part of commitment is resiliency. The ability to make it through when tough times happen. And what he sees, even in this short description by her, is that she's willing to do whatever it takes. She's willing to take responsibility, and she hasn't let that deter her from following God's plan. She's still looking for what God intends, and she wants to follow the plan. Those of you that have been married any time at all know this. That just because you're married, it doesn't mean that life is not going to knock you in the face. In fact, sometimes... It hits you harder when you're married. Finances are going to go crazy. Health issues are going to arise sooner or later. Difficulty is going to happen. When I was at Union, there was this older lady who was kind of dean over students. Her name was Maggie Nell Brewer. And Maggie Nell Brewer used to give a talk every spring to the women on campus. And she called it the Saps Horizon Talk. And saps arise and love is in bloom. Be careful, young ladies, where you go, was her talk. Now, I, didn't, I never got to participate in these talks, but they were legendary on campus. And one of the things that Maggie now used to always tell the girls at that thing was, you need to summer and winter with a guy before you decide to commit your life to him. Now, what she meant technically was spend at least a year getting to know each other, but she also meant you need to see him in the good and in the bad. How do they handle life? Let me ask you a question. Those who have been married for a long time or even recently or not married at all. How do you handle difficult situations? Do you get mad and angry? Do you sulk? Do you go into a cocoon? Or do you deal with them and move on? All of the above. <laughs> Depend on how Glenn's acting, right? 
an important part. Got me off track now. We're trying to bring this to a close, Meryl. She basically says, I'm here to the end. And we're going to stay together. And here's the last thing. And this may be one of the most important just on a daily basis. Starting in verse 8. The friends all chime in. This is what's interesting is she'll talk and the friends will talk and she'll talk and the friends will talk. Remember, what was she concerned about? What was she concerned he wouldn't like? The darkness of her skin. Verse 8. If you do not know most beautiful of women, follow the tracks of the sheep and graze young goats by the tents of the shepherds. We're not going to even talk about that. Verse 9. And this, I do not recommend this particular encouragement, but it works in this instance. I liken you, my darling, to a horse harnessed to one of the chariots of Pharaoh. And all of you women said, what? Honey, I just want you to know, don't worry about that. You are as beautiful as a horse. Your face is just like the face of a horse. Like, that's not a compliment, right? Now, here's the thing. What he's actually doing here is being a consistent encouragement to her because here's what you don't know the chariots of pharaoh were harnessed by white mares and they were considered the most beautiful and exquisite horses around because of the white light color of their coat and he's saying to her don't worry about the color of your to me you are just like the chariot horses of Pharaoh, beautiful and glistening and as beautiful as you can imagine. And here's what I want you to do. Go home this week and read this a little bit, all right? It is almost sickening how encouraging they are to one another. You ever been around teenagers in love? So anybody remember that that far back? And you're like, oh, it's just ooey gooey and love notes and all that. That's the way this reads. But can I tell you something? In the midst of your relationship, if you decide to be a consistent encouragement to your mate or to the one you're dating or just in general in life, it will make a huge difference in the tenor of your relationship. We started the whole message asking about your song. And many of you probably have one you could think of and some of you think I don't have one. And you know what? That's perfectly okay. But here's the question I have for you, just as we're beginning this series of messages on Song of Solomon is this. What if we committed that our song was going to be the very one that God intended for us in the way that we pursue each other and the way that we develop our inner self so that people around us are in a healthy relationship? In just a moment, we're going to have a time of response. It's a little bit of a different sermon. We talked about relationship stuffs, and perhaps you're here and you think, I, I don't really even know how to respond to that message. That may be how you feel many Sundays. But perhaps the message you want to respond to today is simply that you're willing and ready to become the person that your spouse or that this world needs you to be. You're going to become a person of character, of resiliency, of encouragement and responsibility. And that you're going to become one that seeks the Lord first in everything you do. Let's pray together.